Okay, we're in Acts chapter 16 tonight. You take your Bibles, we'll go ahead and turn there, and let's go ahead and stand. Let's get right to it. It's a long text, um, and a lot's happening here in Paul's, the midst of his second missionary journey, and we'll try to extract uh, some cohesive thoughts here as application in a few moments. And so Paul has been kind of prodded by the Lord in a specific direction, and then Hopefully that's made clear by a vision he receives. Um, Paul is in the second missionary journey, and he would, what would be considered Turkey, and had been called to Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece. And so he is making haste that direction. So verse number 11. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside, where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us and brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us, Luke being the author here, and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her master saw that the hope of their gain was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrate, saying, These men, being Jews, and that's all they knew at this point, they were Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison, this was the most secure part, and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed, and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword, and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, and sprang in, and came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas, and brought them out, and said, Sirs, what must I do 
to be saved. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when they had brought them into the house, he set meat before them, and rejoicing, believing in God with all his house. And when it was a day, the magistrate sent the sergeant, saying, Let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, now a new piece of information, and have cast us into prison. And now they do thrust us out privily. Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. And the sergeant told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and besought them, uh, apologized, and brought them out, and desired them to depart out of the city. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. Our Holy Father, we thank you for the Word of God. And Lord, uh, so much to consider tonight, and instruction and example. I, I pray, Lord, as we uh, consider this portion of the Word of God tonight, uh, Lord, it would encourage us, and that, Lord, we might find application. And I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. Having now been directed by God through a vision, the man in Macedonia crying out to Paul and Silas to come help. Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, and most likely a greater band of disciples uh, embark across the Aegean Sea, uh, leaving the ancient east behind and traveling to the west, what we would call Europe, for the very first time with the gospel. They embarked from a place called Troas, which was a port city, and it, it was what we would look at as modern-day Turkey today. And they began to make their way to Philippi, which is again modern-day Greece. 300 years later in the region that Paul was now traveling to, about 120 miles from Troas, um, finally to Philippi, 300 years earlier this was a region ruled by a man named Philip of Macedon. And he, was, he really kind of united all the Greek tribes and he made them a great empire. And his son took over and of course his name was Alexander the Great. But in time, the Greek Empire began to fade, and the Roman Empire rose in its stead. And so now this place would be a Roman province, as it's called here, a colony, and a place where Roman magistrates appointed yearly, in this case probably two of them in the city, were appointed by the Roman government. And the text says in verse 11, they loosed from this port of Troas. They stopped halfway across the Aegean Sea in a little island port called Samothracia, and they did that most likely because sailing at night, if you didn't have to, was not something they wanted to do. And, and so they made their way halfway. They stayed the night. The next day got up and continued their travels on into the port city that was across the way. They traveled from the inland port 10 miles to the city of Philippi, and they no doubt secured accommodations. And having done that, the very next Sabbath, um, of course, Paul would have normally gone to a synagogue, but this city, uh, it's not mentioned they had any. In, in those days, it required 10 Jewish men 
heads of households to be present in a city, uh, to have a synagogue, but there was none. And so Paul inquired of where people might go who might worship God, and the river was named that place. And so Paul made his way there. Now, um, in this place, there were predominantly women gathered there. The Bible doesn't mention men. They, they could have been. But these people were God worshipers. Now, by that, they were monotheistic. They uh, acknowledged Jehovah uh, as God. These were not full proselytes to Judaism. Uh, this, as I've mentioned several times, the Bible mentions God-fearing people. And these were pagans, Greeks, Romans, who had not fully converted because of the consequences of Judaism, but they recognized Jehovah or Yahweh as the true God. And so that's what's happened here. They have gathered here at this river to, um, to pray to him. And so in this place, you know, Paul begins to speak the gospel. And uh, of course, the Bible mentions that a lady named Lydia is saved. Now, Lydia uh, living now in Philippi was originally from a place called Thyatira. Now, Thyatira is known in the New Testament as a place of, uh, it's where the dye purple was sort of originated. And that's what it was known for. And so there's this connection between Lydia and this purple. And she was a merchant of purple garments. And so this is the Lydian lady uh, now living in Philippi. Um, that was formerly the Lydian Empire another story, but that's where she came from. And she was probably uh, a somewhat wealthy merchant. Most merchants in those days were somewhat wealthy. And we know that she had a, a house large enough in time to accommodate a church. And right away being saved, she showed hospitality and Paul would meet uh, in that home for a period of time uh, in an intermediary. And then uh, before he would leave Philippi, he would assemble there again with those who were saved. So Lydia becomes an important biblical figure for us going forward, and we'll talk more about her in time. Well, from that, the story broadens as Paul and his entourage are walking through the city and probably back and forth to the river, and they come in contact and are confronted by a lady who is possessed of a spirit. And no doubt this is a demonic spirit. And she is um, divining, which means she can see or understand things that otherwise couldn't be discerned. And she's probably doing soothsaying, which is foretelling. She's um, predicting people's futures, maybe to a degree. But from an evil source, the truth is spoken. And this lady looks at this group of men and says, hey, these men are from God. And they are telling us, you know, how we can be saved. And so I, I don't want to make this a, a major point here at the end, but there's an interesting side note here about this lady. Um, she was being uh, used by evil men for gain. And, you know, the Bible tells us that the root of all evil is money. In other words, money um, has a way of grabbing a hold of human hearts. And it can vie for our allegiance in a way that God does not want it to, where he wants to be there. These men, these businessmen were exploiting this lady's horrible condition. And they were doing so uh, for their own financial gain. Um, and if you think that through in terms of principle, stuff like that still happens today. Uh, women and other people uh, are often exploited in ways that they may not want to be exploited for other people's profit. Cheap labor around the world, uh, sex trafficking, just 
you know, being direct. There's a lot of things that happen that evil people use and get in the way of exploitation to make money. In lesser ways, you know, businesses often exploit consumers for profit. Um, not exactly giving us the best deal in the world for the sake of profit. Um, in this world of immorality, there's a lot done um, for financial gain in terms of exploiting for money. Um, <laughs> I had to be careful what I say. The pharmaceutical business, you know, may be guilty for the sake of money, have a little bit of exploitation in their prices. There are other uh, things I can think about, but I'll just stop there. Um, and I might just say to all of us, sometimes money can keep the best of us from making the decisions we ought to make for the Lord. And evil men, it certainly takes them down a bad road. And so that's a side sermon that you can consider. But this lady's confronting Paul with this truth. So a truth spoken from an evil source. Well, the time the Bible says Paul grows weary of this evil source, this truth comes from that, and he cast a demon out, setting her free. And by implication, most likely this lady was saved. But when this happens, these men who are exploiting her realize that their business is now going to go asunder. And because they no longer, she no longer has this demon and can do this soothsaying, they're losing um, money. And so they create a riot. They, these men gather and they, in a way, I guess, capture Paul and Silas, who were speaking at this time, and they drag them before the magistrates. Now, this would have been the rulers appointed by the Roman government to oversee local affairs. And, uh, and, and so, let me just add this maybe second side note. I'm trying to think how much I want to do tonight. It's evil, it's possible, you know, for some truth to come from evil sources. Again, probably for exploitation. You know, if I speak a little truth, I might capture your heart, an audience. And then from that vantage point, I could probably maybe lead you then into error. You follow me on that? Um, people like politicians may do this to us. You with me? They may say some things we like to hear, but it's not really for us. It's probably for them. It's not so much they have our interest in mind as they have our vote in mind. And it's more about what they can get out of it than what they give us. Um, uh, televangelists do this. We all know those sad tales, right? If, if you sometimes I, I'm, I'm somewhat mystified how some of these pastors can grow these enormous tens of thousands of member churches, but you kind of combine these two side notes about money being the root of all evil, and you maybe from an evil source some truth can come come forth, and. Um, I think there's probably some preachers who do that. You ever heard of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel? And there's some truth in that God wants to bless you, but a lot of what they promise is not biblical. Certainly none of the disciples experienced health, wealth, and prosperity in terms of their preaching it. But there's people hear this stuff, and it has an element of truth. They talk about God and blessing, and all this sounds great. And then I'm not saying that there's evil spirits involved in that. I'm just saying... Whatever doesn't come from God is, and they can capture people's hearts. And these are all side sermons. I just, I just don't have time for everything, and they just come to my mind. Um, and so those who have ears, let them hear. Um, I'll move on. It's something to think about. 
But anyway, continuing, um, so this lady is set free, but these men now grab Paul and Silas, they create a mob, and they are beaten. Now we just read that quickly, but we're talking about men now receiving scars upon scars. This is not the first time. In the first missionary journey, Paul was, Paul was so violently beaten, he was left for dead. And now the Bible says, and the Bible doesn't use hyperbole as a tactic, when it says he was beaten with many stripes, he was beaten with many stripes. And so this man is just you know, being abused. He's cast in jail and put into bonds. And that is also significant because the idea of bonds was, especially the inner prison, they, they would fasten these, these shackles on them incredibly tight. Sometimes they would stretch them out to make them as uncomfortable as possible. Uh, there was nothing done here to be accommodating to these men. It was often meant to keep, keep them awake at night, to be unable to sleep. And, and so that happens. They're, they're placed in prison and they're kept there. Now I'm going to kind of fast forward to the end of this story um, and then and come back to the middle part. So this happens. In the next day, the magistrates who allowed this to happen um, just kind of excuse it. Okay, go set those men free. And so Paul says, uh, no, and I don't think so. Um, they did this publicly. They just can't dismiss us privately. And hey, by the way, we're Romans. Well, it was illegal to, do, to uh, pass any judgment on a Roman without fair trial. These guys were in trouble. Like they were in legal trouble. Paul did this not to be obstinate or prideful. This was about the gospel. In other words, if they would have been quietly dismissed, the people of the city could be left with the impression that there was something criminal about Christianity, that, that it was somehow uh, despaired or be avoided. But my, making these men come back and offer a public apology, that elevated the standing of the gospel. So this isn't about Paul and his pride. This is about protecting the gospel and the people who heard it. And so that's why this exercise has gone through. And, and so um, it's, it, it's, Paul always had the motive of the gospel behind him. But while he's in prison, going back now, um, Paul and Silas were in this, they'd just been beaten. They were in these shackles. And um, <laughs> it's remarkable. They began to, to pray and praise God and sing. And this will become a point for us in a moment. They begin to sing. And it seems in the Bible presents this as cause and effect. Then there's a mighty earthquake and uh, the shackles are broken free. And the implication is not just Paul and Silas, but you know, everyone in the prison this happens to. And in the midst of this, the jailer wakes up and most likely the jailer lived in a house adjacent to the prison. He wakes up and, and seeing that these men were loose, you know, he takes a sword. He's about to, you know, impale himself because it was... Uh, if the prisoners would have escaped, he would have died anyway at the hands of the Romans. That would have been the, the result of that. So he's going to say, man, all's lost. I'm going to uh, die at my own terms. And, and so this Paul yells out, do thyself no harm. And uh, the man listens. And this guy's putting us all together. These guys are singing. There's this earthquake. These people know God. And he says, what must I do to be saved? It's a great story. And the jailer gets saved and takes them to his own home, washes them, cleanses them, um, and his whole family is saved in this process. And it's just a fascinating way to see the gospel go forward. Okay, that's the story in a nutshell. Um, there's lots of things here to take away, I think, 
and I don't want this to be topical, but there's some truth here. And I want you to look at verse 14 with me real quickly. We'll, just, we'll start dissecting some thoughts here a little bit. So our story begins here, and it says, And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea. I've got to go back to 16, not 17. There we go. And, and a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us. And I want you to notice that. They heard Paul speaking. But I want you to know what happens next. Whose heart the Lord opened. Okay, there's a two-part dynamic here. Someone speaking and God working. So the first point I want you to see tonight or consider is that there is a divine interplay in sharing the gospel. And, and the two parts are human responsibility and God's working. Human responsibility and God's working. I want to start with this idea of human responsibility for a moment. In our text, as Paul has throughout the book of Acts, Paul takes initiative by going to a place that he was not only called to by God, but he went specifically to a place where he could gain audience. He went by the river for this specific point of sharing the gospel. You know, if people are going to be saved... You and I can't be passive. We need to show some initiative. Now, I just want you to consider this for a moment. It's really easy for us to uh, do our Christian part in terms of conforming to a certain morality and having ethics, trying to be good and upstanding people. You know, we go to church and all those things are right and good, but there is another initiative in the Christian life, and that is sharing the gospel. It's sharing our faith. Just as we have a, a, a responsibility not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together, and we're doing that tonight, we also have the responsibility to show the initiative, not just to get in our car and come to church, but sometimes to get in our car and go see lost people to try to see them saved. In other words, it's really easy for us to be, have initiative in a lot of areas of the Christian life, but for some reason, and the reason is because of the confrontation that's sometimes involved, is we don't show the same initiative in this part of our Christian life. If people are going to be saved, we're going to have to go and get out of our homes. We're going to have to be willing to talk, and not just about weather and the politics. We're going to have to be willing to meet people sometimes where they're at. Whether it be at a river, at a baseball game, at the grocery store, wherever it may be, we need to show some human responsibility as Christians and initiate. That could be our outreach effort that we have really every Wednesday night. Um, it's not furniture, but right outside these doors is a table, and there's some more up against the wall. They have tracks on them. Now, they're not there for us just to bypass every week we come to church. We have to take the initiative, take some tracks, put them in a wallet, a jacket, a billfold, or whatever else. We've made this as convenient as humanly possible. We even do the little wallet-sized ones and then pass those out to people you come in contact with. In your interactions with people, um, find some commonality, some hobby, some interest, some way. Paul, there's a reason Paul went to the synagogues. He wasn't being religious. 
That was Paul's point of connection. Paul went to the synagogues because it, it afforded him a place to have voice. Paul, we think about as the missionary, the great Christian, but remember he was a Pharisee. And not just any Pharisee, he was trained by Gamaliel, the most famous doctor of Pharisaism in the world. And when someone heard, hey, that guy was trained by Gamaliel, everyone listened, especially all the Pharisees and the Jews that gathered in the synagogues. It was strategic for Paul. He, he was going to places where he knew the Jews would hear his voice. He had an audience and he went there. When he went to a place where there was no synagogue, well, where, where can I go where people might listen to me? Well, the river where people pray. Now, we are going to have to give some kind of effort to that sometimes. Where do I have an audience? Well, where do you have influence? Where do you go to school? Where do you work? In what community do we live? What schools can we be a help of? I mean, I, I could just go on and on with the point, but the text teaches among many things, we have to show initiative. Um, Jesus met people at their place of need. Uh, that was Jesus' model very often. When, when people were in some need, they needed to be healed. They needed food. They were in some uh, moral crisis. Jesus met them there. He was a help. He ministered. And then, you know, he revealed his identity. The gospel was presented. That's something we have to do. And then we can couple that with this reassurance. When we exercise our responsibility, then we're done and the results are up to God. The text just puts it so, you know, it just puts them together so concisely. Paul spoke, God worked. He shared the gospel and the Lord opened their hearts. Uh, take your Bibles real quickly and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, I want to read a text, and this is a place you can mark in your Bibles. And Paul makes this point. Uh, Paul was probably a, a very eloquent speaker. He writes that way. But he did not depend on his abilities and being super articulate uh, and gifted to share his faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, And I, brethren, when I came unto you, I came not with the excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I, for I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. So like we are when we knock on someone's door. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words or man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and in power. You know what Paul's saying? Hey, you people weren't one to Christ because of my articulate ability. I, I, just, I just showed up. I showed some initiative. I shared the gospel, and then God worked a miracle. He opened your heart, and people were saved. Sometimes we feel so inadequate. And let me say this, we probably are. We may not always have all the words, but we can learn enough to tell people that Jesus died for their sins, that they're sinners and there's hope for us because there's none in religion or, or works, and point them to the gospel. And we think, how could anybody possibly be saved through that horrible presentation? Well, because God's involved. God's involved. God can take a truth even poorly spoken from a stammering tongue 
in an inadequate vessel, and he can make a miracle happen with that. And we see that really throughout all of Acts, that happening. And so human responsibility with God's working can accomplish a great miracle. A second truth or principle is this. Receptivity is often greater among people when it's accompanied by secondary actions. Um, when Paul spoke to Lydia, he just spoke. Hey, Lydia, I know you're a God fear. Let me show you the, God, the God's truth. And he, he did that. She didn't probably know Paul from anything, but she, her heart was opened and she was saved. It was fairly simple. But the lady with the spirit, more was required of Paul than that. And so the, the, he was bothered by this spirit crying out this truth. And so he rebuked the spirit and cast him out. But we can really discern a principle here. Paul did that for her good. It may have irritated him, but it set her free. And so I'm going to go back to this responsibility point a little bit here. Is sometimes why I highly encourage you to pass out a track to the, 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 the waiter or waitress at a restaurant. If you don't go to church, I'd like to invite you to our church. If you accompany that with a really good tip, it might help. If you go back to the same restaurant, then engage in a conversation with the person. And you know, maybe, how could I pray for you? Sometimes when trying to help people with their spiritual needs, it wouldn't hurt for you to help them with their physical needs. Sometimes we have to confront. Sometimes we have to care. Sometimes we have to minister. Sometimes we have to serve people. Sometimes people want to see that what we say is borne out in our own hearts. And, and the point is this, is when we speak the truth in love and then actually love people as well, many people often grow far more receptive to the gospel. Now, in the case of the jailer, he saw a miracle. You know, so Paul, you know, this guy sees God working in all the circumstances, and then Paul speaks the gospel, and those things work together. But the point I want you to consider is that your kindness, your grace, your helping hand, your ongoing encouragement, your mercy, uh, finding a form of goodness to take hands with the gospel, well, people can be impacted by that. And that's what happened in our text. I want to remind you that um, part of winning people to Christ is just the truth spoken. Uh, but, but sometimes there are spiritual things in play. Take your Bibles and do this. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6 real quickly. Let's look at another text. And then once you find it, once you look up here for a second. So sometimes with the presentation of the gospel, we need to have this secondary effort. We need to show grace. We need to be kind. Uh, we need to find a way to actually help them. And sometimes when we're trying to witness, we should pray for people. Yeah. We should just pray about it. Before we go out on a Saturday outreach, and, you know, Lord, I, I'm going to go do this. I don't know who I'm going to meet. But Lord, for those people I'm going to talk to, or the doors I'm going to leave information, I'm going to ask you to do a work in their heart. Or maybe you have a friend, a coworker, a family member, and they're not saved. 
And you know, you can just share with them, but maybe if you couple that with praying for them as well. See, everything is, is just not intellectual. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Now finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Sometimes, in order for people to be saved, we're going to have to pray about it. And maybe pray for a long time. Um, I think most of us might know someone who was saved after they were prayed for, for a significant amount of time. And I, I, just the point I see here is this, is that this lady wasn't saved until Paul dealt with the spiritual oppression in her life. I, I don't encourage you to go cast out demons of people. Um, but to minimize the reality that this world and demonic forces may have a hold of someone's heart or is influenced by us, to not think that's a reality would be spiritually naive. Because we don't wrestle just against flesh and blood. There are spiritual forces at play that are working to keep people from being saved and to see, keep us from being productive Christians. And so the thought here is, if you want to see people saved, you can accompany that with um, actions of kindness and grace, of help, and then by praying for them. And then very quickly, a third truth tonight. A reassuring aspect of God's rule, and, and this would be a Romans 8 sermon, a reassuring aspect of God's rule is that He can bring about good out of negative circumstances. Um, to say that Paul went through negative circumstances is an understatement. What this man has subjected himself just to get to this point, you know, is, is a little bit mind-boggling. He's already been on one missionary journey. He's already been beaten to death and survived. He's now on a second journey. Um, this is not his first hardship. In this case, he is beaten. He is put in jail. He is held in shackles. He is unfairly accused. And you may not find this equitable, but Paul did and God does, we have a record of three people being saved. And that's not true. We have a record of two families and an individual being saved. Now, I don't know what that number is. Um, and, and I have no doubt many other people were saved who's not recorded in Acts 16. But Paul looked at that and saw, and saw that as a good thing. You think, well, Ben, I'm, I'm not going to go through that for three families. Well, Paul saw that as, wor as, as, as worth the effort. Um, he didn't have any hesitancy out of those negative circumstances. Matter of fact, he, he, pan he penned these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For our light affliction. <laughs> Can you imagine Paul saying that? For our light affliction, which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. What's he saying? That our negative circumstances, good things happen, both now 
and in my future, eternal future. Um, when things aren't going right in our life or in trying to win someone to Christ, um, reassure God is working. And though we may not see it, uh, no doubt God is accomplishing good somewhere as a result of your suffering and willingness to suffer for His sake. Fourth thought, and I'll be finished here. Um, and, and this is a little disconnected, but I, I just didn't want to miss it. As you look at Paul and Silas um, in, in this jail, I, I, this just can't be missed, and it's often preached in a topical way, and for good reason. But I just want to say this to you. A time-tested way to respond to suffering is by singing and praying. And I want to talk about the singing for a moment. And so um, Jesse's going to owe me for this one. <laughs> you know, music's a big deal. Amen. It's a big deal. And music is a big deal to God. You know, the Psalms, uh, for the most part, is music. And uh, Jesse made a, a great point about this a couple of years ago. Um, and we have sung to new tunes, you know, many of the Psalms. Music is a powerful force. For many, song is the language of the heart. Singing often helps truth travel to and through the heart more efficiently than any other way. So, um, we've sung some songs here, and uh, many minister to me. And so, through the week, you know, I'll go to YouTube, and then I'll fast forward the service, and I'll listen to that song again. You know, or I'll find another version of that song, and I listen. And don't make me feel weird here, okay? I need you to be weird with me. But you've, you've done this, and you're driving down the road, and you play that song, and then tears will up in your eyes. Am, am I the only one? And like, there wasn't many big, great lead-up of preaching to me. It's just, boy, those songs, those words in that musical form touched my heart. And see, that's sort of the intent of every music service we have here. Not for it to be road or go through some kind of emotions. It's, it's meant to minister to our hearts. Not looking for emotionalism, but looking for something meaningful that actually is instructed to the heart. I think that's what God intends. It is the language of the heart. It speaks to us in, in an amazing way. It's why we're commanded in the Bible to sing psalms and hear spiritual songs to the Lord. We are to praise the Lord in song. We are commanded to sing. Music is a powerful force. And I'll, I'll just add this. If that is true, and everyone agrees with me that music is powerful, then we should probably listen to and sing a certain kind of music and then maybe not listen or be overly influenced by other kind of music. And I'm not, you know, preaching an anti-rock and roll message. I'm just asking you to use your brain. Is that fair? I mean, the people who write other kinds of music, they understand its power. It parts kids with their money all the time. It affects the way they dress and how they think and what they do. Am I right? So part of Christian responsibility 
is to make sure what we listen to and what our young people listen to is something that instructs the heart, informs the heart in the right way. And we should probably have some stewardship on guiding and directing what we listen to as well. Is that fair? Okay. All right. A lot here to consider in Acts 16. Um, soul winning, responsibility, reassurance in God's action, good things coming from negative consequences, and the power of music in 20 verses. <laughs> so I want you to think about that. Let me ask you to stand tonight if you would.